Our Old Testament reading comes from Joshua, book of Joshua in the Old Testament, chapter 21. I will be reading the first three verses of Joshua and then skipping to the end, reading verses 41 to 45. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites came to Eleazar the priest and to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel. And they said to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, The Lord commanded through Moses that we be given cities to dwell in, along with their pasture lands for our livestock. So they command So by command of the Lord, the people of Israel gave to the Levites the following cities and pasture lands out of their inheritance. There follows a recounting of all the cities and pasture lands. So we skip down to verse 41. The cities of the Levites in the midst of the possession of the people of Israel were in all 48 cities with their pasture lands. These cities each had its pasture lands around it, so it was with all these cities. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all of their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all of their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Now we turn to our New Testament reading, which is at the end of Matthew 11. Our text is from verse 28 to the end, but I'll start with verse 25 for context. So Matthew 11, verse 25. Again, the word of the Lord At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such is your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This ends the reading of God's holy word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us this word, for giving it to us and to our children. We thank you that the word of God is sure and certain and true. And now, O Lord, may the meditations of our hearts upon this word and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, we had to have that context because... This section we're looking at today, verses 28 to the end, really is part two of a unified passage, but it was worth dividing them so we could concentrate on the particulars of each passage in the time we have. 
Today we look at this well-beloved passage, verse 28 to 30, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. It's well-beloved for good reason and good uh, background for it. We love to hear of our Savior calling us to himself, and that's very, uh, very good. But you need to see the context of who it is who's calling you. Uh, and you need to understand what a privilege it is and how powerful it is. This, this call comes from our sovereign mediator. He is the God-man, as we saw last week. He is the one who is himself the Son of God. In our earlier portion, that section from last week, he calls himself the Son uh, without any qualification. Uh, and he calls God my Father. Again, without qualification. He is my Father. This is the Son of God himself. Uh, and this, this is his divine identity. And yet the Son became man, which we just confessed, born of the Virgin Mary. This comes directly out of Matthew 1. If you want to see one place, you could also find other places where that's affirmed in Scripture very clearly. He became a genuine human being. Uh, and then you hear about who he is. Uh, notice verse 27. All things have been handed over, which uh, you could say uh, entrusted to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. And if he stops there, we're in a lot of trouble. <laughs> He didn't stop there. You keep reading. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. No one knows the Father unless the Son chooses to reveal the Father to that person. And we saw that last week. This is the one who is then turns around in verse 28 and openly calls everyone to come to him. This is a call that's sincere and real, but we're dealing here with a great mystery. This is called the free offer of the gospel, sometimes also called the sincere offer of the gospel. That this is the Lord sincerely offering himself openly to anyone who would come despite the fact that he had just told us, you can't come unless he desires it. Well, this now gets into uh, something where we have to make distinctions. And this is, this is just a principle that you learn when you study theology. Good theology is making good distinctions. Uh, I won't get into that in great detail, but I will tell you that if you go to the denominational website, opc.org, you will find that in our 15th General Assembly in 1948, our General Assembly had a study committee on this issue of the free offer of the gospel. They had to hash it out because there are people uh, in the Reformed Communion more broadly who don't believe in this. They don't believe that God freely offers himself in the gospel to non-believers. Well, this study committee uh, was composed of some 
a pretty prominent men in our denomination who were careful students of scripture, and they determined that this is an important doctrine that we affirm. Now, they focused on different passages, but I think they could have focused right here. Focused right there in verse 27 and verse 28. When you see the dynamic uh, involved there, this is uh, a great mystery, yet something we have to affirm. And this is what we do. We have the scripture from God as the truth founding our belief. Everything we believe has to be derived from scripture directly or by good and necessary consequence. It's also called inference. That is something that necessarily comes from scripture as an inference. Well, that's what we have today. What we have today is the Son is the one responsible for revealing the Father, and then he comes uh, directly after that saying, but you come. You come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He doesn't say, I'll think about it. I might give you rest. If you work hard enough, you're going to finally get some rest. He says, I will give you rest. This is an open, sincere, free offer that you can come. And then, if you come to the Lord, it's because he has drawn you to himself. You can have confidence that the Lord has given you this access. You come because when you come, you know it's from him and he has Open the way to the Father to you freely. And that's his will for you. He has published this. He has told you right here in verse 28, you come to me. That is my desire that you come. And that's what we call the free offer of the gospel. It's a sincere desire of the Lord to have you come into his presence and dwell with him forever. Freed from all the shackles of sin and all the labor and all the things that would weigh you down. That is the sincere offer of the gospel. Now I'm talking to people, most of whom today know what hard work is like. Being heavy laden. Being burdened. Now, it's one thing to be burdened physically, and interestingly, when you're burdened physically, it also has an effect on your soul, doesn't it? You can be working so hard physically that you become depressed. It, it has an effect on your life and your soul. It kind of colors your life. Your world kind of shrinks to where all you can see is all the pain and hardship of your hard labor. And you're looking at me and saying, well, what do I know about it? I can tell you, I, the, I remember clearly the worst day of my life. Uh, and it was right up the road in a cornfield. Every time I drive by that cornfield, I look at that cornfield and I say, cursed are you cornfield. No, I, I don't say that. But I can tell you, it was a very bad day. Uh, must have been 1969 or 70. I mean, I remember that day like nobody's business. We, I was carrying irrigation pipe, and it was a 
bad, hot day. And, you know, we didn't drink water. That's, that was for sissies. We just drank one can of Coke at lunch, and that's it. <laughs> really stupid, right? Well, we were stupid. But, brothers and sisters, maybe you've had worse days. Hard labor. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I, I probably don't know the depth of weariness and labor that you've experienced or may be experiencing today. Because sometimes it's weariness of soul. It doesn't have to be caused by working in the fields or some other hard labor. And brothers and sisters, our Savior calls you for rest. What's interesting about this is kind of ironic. It's the Son of God. And what did he come to do? The Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, came into the world as the one to whom the Father had entrusted everything. And who is it who entrusted everything to him? I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. What does the Father have to entrust to his Son? Everything in heaven and earth over which he is Lord. We're going to come back to that next week. Lord, and what that means. But here, everything that the Father, Lord of heaven and earth, is in, is in charge of and sovereign over, he entrusts to the Son. The one who calls you into his rest is this Son who has been entrusted with everything in heaven and on earth. He can give you rest because everything operates at his command. It is by his powerful word that he carries along everything in heaven and earth. Hebrews 1, chapter 4. Chapter 1, verse 4. Hebrews 1, 4. You can read it. And he alone reveals the Father. And his name is Jesus, which is kind of hides the fun aspect of this text. Uh, the name Jesus comes from the Greek. This, you know, Matthew is written originally in Greek. And the name Jesus here is Jesus. There's no Y sound in Greek. So they combined an I, which is E, Ioda, and then a long E sound, which is pronounced A. So, E-A. That's how they did a Y. Yay. Yay. Just run, say it several times fast and you'll get it. E-A. Yay. That's how you get the Y sound. And the name Jesus in this text is Jesus. Well, then that's picked up in Latin as Jesus. That's where we get Jesus in English. When we call him Jesus, it's from the Latin text which was the original, you know, later on, the text of the church in the western part of the world for you know, well over a thousand years. So they call him Jesus, Jesus. But brothers and sisters, the name that Jesus went by is Yeshua, Joshua. <laughs> now you know why I read Joshua. That's his name, actually. We call him Jesus, but his name is Joshua. 
So when you're reading the book of Joshua, if you're reading it in Greek, it's the book of Jesus. That's just how, it's just the difference of the two languages. So when you're looking at the name Jesus, you should think to yourself, this is Joshua giving you rest. Now it's interesting, isn't it? Now you look at the book of Joshua. Joshua gave them rest. God, through Joshua, rested the people of God from all of their enemies. Now Joshua is standing up and calling to you and saying, you come to me and I will give you rest. It's a different kind of rest. Joshua gave them rest from earthly enemies. He gave them earthly rest which would fall apart had the opportunity to be abandoned and be done away with when they were carried off into exile. But this Joshua offers rest for your soul, which cannot be taken away from you. This is, this is the rest that he is offering to us. And you actually see this in Hebrews chapter 4, where the author of the Hebrews says, it wasn't Joshua who gave them rest and then implied, but it's the new Joshua, the Joshua Jesus, giving rest to the people of God. And it's, an, it's a rest which is in the new creation. That's what he's offering to us here. New creation rest which can never be taken away. And it's rest for your soul. Interestingly, Jesus then says, verse 29, Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. Now, I doubt if many of you have carried a yoke. I haven't. But I've seen them. We, we typically think of yokes on animals. So you have two oxen in particular, and there would be a yoke over them. Uh, but people carried yokes back then, and they still do in parts of the world. Uh, the thing about a yoke that makes it different from a stick is it has this half moon bent in the middle of it. You can bend, by the way, you can bend wood if you steam it, and then you, you bend it, and then cool it, and it, it follows the bend of what you do. Do this to a two-by-four, it'd be kind of funny. Kind of, kind of fun, make a uh, yoke out of a piece of two-by-four, to steam it first, but be careful. Uh, so uh, a yoke, though, has this bend in it, so when you put it on your shoulders, it doesn't lean on your neck, which would be really tough. But it, it rests on your shoulders. It has this bend bypassing your neck. And you actually see people carrying buckets and other heavy stuff with a yoke like that. That's what he's talking about, a yoke is that kind of bent piece of wood. And do you think he knows what he's talking about? The carpenter, Jesus? Well, he, this is the kind of thing he probably made at times for people, made yokes for people. And now he says, you take my yoke upon you. This is interesting because it's a fairly common uh, idiom. Paul talks about unequally yoked. And we saw it in Galatians 5.1. Don't be yoked again to a yoke of slavery, but you have been uh, called for freedom. It's very interesting because Jesus says, you are burdened, you're carrying these yokes with these heavy 
uh, bags of cement attached to them, and they're weighing you down, so you take my yoke on you. Well, his yoke is a yoke of freedom, not of slavery. It's a yoke from him who will bear your burdens. It's the one who has all power in heaven and on earth to direct your lives so that you not be burdened anymore with the burden you can't bear. Apart from Christ, there's no guarantee that you live a life to where you will survive. There's no guarantee of that if you're outside of Christ. But if you come to him, you are guaranteed to have a life that you can actually live. And even if you die, yet you will live because he offers you rest for your soul which will bear fruit to eternal life. This is what he offers you, eternal life, apart from all the trials and hardships and burdens of this life. And then he will direct your steps in this life. They will not be overwhelmed. He will hold your hand. Well, there were burdens that many people bore back then that they could not carry. But then Jesus says, my, verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I will put a yoke on you, but it's not going to be burdened down with something you can't bear. It's something that I will guarantee will be light and easy for you to carry. And again, I would suggest to you from Galatians 5, it's a yoke of freedom. It's not a yoke of slavery. It's not a yoke weighing you down anymore. But here's, here's why. Here's why this is true. Jesus says with two words that are probably two of the most surprising things he says about himself in all of Matthew. The first one is he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle. Now this word gentle is interesting because it actually is the word translated meek in uh, Matthew chapter 5 in the third beatitude. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. It's the same word. You could render that blessed are the gentle for they will inherit the earth. And when you are blessed for being gentle, you are imaging the Savior himself. For I am gentle. You see, it's the character of Jesus that makes the yoke light. This is how you have a guarantee from him. He is gentle. He is not violent and domineering. It's interesting, we saw that word violent earlier in chapter uh, 11. Remember, the violent are attempting to overthrow the kingdom of God. We saw that before. The kingdom of God is forcefully advancing, and violent people are attempting to seize it. Well, they're not going to seize it from his strong hand. And he's not going to hold on to this kingdom and advance it through violence. He's going to advance it by 
carrying your sins on His back. He's going to carry that yoke of burden that you have, that you can't bear, and He's going to put it on His neck, and He's going to bear it on the cross. This is, this is His humility. And brothers and sisters, this is not new in Matthew. It's actually something very prominent in Matthew about our Savior, His gentleness with His people. Uh, in Matthew 21, you have this really wonderful image of our Savior going into Jerusalem and the children shouting hosannas using the words of uh, Zechariah chapter 9. So Zechariah 9 verse 9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey. What's interesting is this is quoted by the other gospel writers, but they leave out humble. This is the same word for gentle. It's the same word. They leave that word out in the other gospel writers, but not Matthew. He includes it. Gentle and mounted on a donkey. He is a gentle, humble Savior. Well, this is not the most surprising thing. The next word is the most surprising word in going back to our Matthew chapter 11. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. This word lowly, I tell you, if I'm a Greek back then, if I'm a Roman back then, I'm really surprised. Because that word means humiliated, and it's shameful to say that of yourself. You see, back then, honor is more important than life. And shame leads you to suicide. If you're ashamed publicly, you have no more reason to live. And so he just confesses that he's, he's lowly, that he is, you know, not exalted. Of all the people in the universe, in the history of the world, who could be haughty and proud is the one who says, no one knows the Father except the Son. No one knows the Son except the Father. And you're not going to know the Father unless I reveal him to you. Now he could turn around and say, I'll think about it if you come to me. <laughs> what are you going to offer me? I'm, you know, my reputation has to be upheld here. His public persona has to be built up. This is what he could have said if he were haughty, if he were arrogant. Of all the people in the world who could be arrogant, this is the one who could be arrogant. And the opposite of arrogance is what he says he is. He's humble and lowly in heart. And he's going to be humiliated. Pretty soon we're going to come to the place where his humiliated is his humiliation is celebrated. His broken body and spilled blood in public on a cross where people mocked him publicly and shamed him. And that's what he did for you. That was a burden he willingly bore 
free you. This is the one who comes to you today and says, you come to me. If you have need, you come to me, and I will fulfill that need. You can trust me. I am humble and lowly of heart. I'm not doing this out of arrogance. I'm not doing it to build up my reputation. I'm doing it because I love you. And I'm willing to come and die in your place. Brothers and sisters, I would submit to you that the Apostle Paul knows us very well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 31, I won't read the whole passage because of time. I'd like to. But there are three things in this passage that he says that are important for us to remember. He says to us, consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful or mighty. And not many of you were uh, wise and powerful. And many of you were despised in the world. Now, brothers and sisters, I don't, dis- I don't consider you foolish and weak and despised. The world does. Foolish and weak and despised. Those are the three terms that occur there in 1 Corinthians 1. Where Paul makes very clear, this is who you are before the world. Are you foolish? Well, here's the foundation of your wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the most holy, that is understanding. Proverbs 9.10. And if you trust in the Lord and you come to him, you have the foundation of wisdom that the world doesn't know. You are wise because of God. Are you weak? Well, this is why I read that Psalm 112 at the beginning of our service. Your offspring are the mighty ones on the earth. Strong in the faith, able to withstand all the opposition of the world and the flesh and the devil. That's who you are in the Lord. What the world thinks of you makes no difference because they're going to despise you. I don't think you're despised. If anyone serves me, he will follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, says our Savior, The Father will honor him. If you serve the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father will be the source of your honor. You may be despised by the world, but the Father will honor you. You will receive honor from God himself, the creator and perfecter of heaven and earth, the Lord over all. This is the source of our honor. I don't think you're weak and foolish and despised, and neither does Jesus. Because he, he has considered you worthy of his love because of his great love with which he loved. Learn from him. Come to him. Some of you children need to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the day to come to him and to prove that you are the blessed of God the strong and mighty ones, the wise ones of the world. 
in the world, but not of it. So, brothers and sisters, the Prince of Peace calls today. But if you come to him, you continue to bear his yoke. Yeah, there are days when you have days. We all have days, okay? But this is the time when you come back to this text and you look at his character, the one who is humble and lowly of heart, and you say, Lord, I need your help today. I need your help today. And you know, you know because of who he is that he will hear you. You come to him again and again in your time of need, and he will answer. This is the word of the Lord to you today. Let us pray. There are days, O oh Lord, when we forget the power of your word and of our Savior. There are days when we do not live according to the truths we've just seen so clearly given to us. We pray, O oh Lord, that we may come to you day by day and give you honor and glory. You have blessed us with a Savior who's worthy of all of our praise and thanks, that you may be exalted in the world, O Lord. We exalt you, our great Savior, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.